Pope Francis has dropped the bomb on traditional Catholics, on the traditional Latin Mass. And this is the most radical thing that Pope Francis has done in his eight years in Rome. Today is the most radical moment in the papacy of Pope Francis. Why? Because he has reached back not a few years. It's not just a Morris. He's not reached back just a Sumorum Pontificum with Benedict XVI or in a John Paul II. Pope Francis has situated himself today in the great, we could call it a dialogue for his sake, the great dialogue on faith, morals, and liturgy now that has raged in the Catholic Church since the 1960s. Now, before I get started, I'm going to be a coach. You know when you go into the locker room at halftime, you're down two touchdowns, everybody's morale's down. Listen to me very carefully before we get started today. Pope Francis and those around him who are in favor of this new motu proprio, restricting the traditional Latin Mass in ways that we've never seen. Well, we have seen it before. But bringing us back to day one, 1970. They want to label you rigid. They want to see you rage. They want to see me get on the camera and use profanity and make accusations and be rigid. They Today, they want to dismiss you and me. And we're not going to do that. We are going to respond by being calm, by being prayerful, by being charitable, but also by resisting, resisting to the face. As Paul says in Galatians, he resisted Kephas, Cephas, Peter to the face. We are going to resist, but we're going to smile. As I say at the end of every show, our Lord Jesus Christ is you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth, so go out there and be salty. We are going to be light. We are going to be joyful. We are going to be salty. There's a lot of people in the world right now that say, you know, honey, maybe we should go to the Latin Mass this Sunday. And if you reaffirm Pope Francis' label as rigid, mean, judgmental, we're going to lose those people. Right now, we need to grow. Right now, we, we need to unite. We need to unite the clans. Petty differences aside, don't go on social media and, and accuse people of, of mortal sins and detract people, drag people in through the mud. Mm -mm. That is not what King Jesus wants today. All right, so what happened? Pope Francis issued today a motu proprio. It has a cover letter and it has eight articles. A cover letter and eight articles. I'm not going to cover the cover letter so much. I'm going to focus on the eight articles. And we'll see in these eight articles many restrictions. Also, the things that we've been hearing in the last few weeks and months. Remember that whole story on the Archbishop of Dijon where he's wagging his finger at the protesters saying, a motu proprio is coming for y'all soon. A motu proprio is coming for y'all soon. Well, it was legit. It was for real. And there will be loyalty tests for traditional Catholics and especially priests. For example, the very beginning of these articles, it stated that it's the bishop's responsibility to make sure that the priests in these communities affirm and do not deny the validity and legitimacy of the liturgical reform dictated by the Second Vatican Council. That's the exact words. We'll see what seems to be a rule that there can be no new personal parishes for the Latin Mass. We'll also see that priests ordained after today cannot say the traditional Latin Mass of the Missal of 1962 without permission from their bishop who is to gain it from Rome. In other words, a priest who is ordained tomorrow cannot say the Latin Mass unless Rome gives him a special piece of paper. 
And then for groups and societies, institutes that already exist for the Latin Mass, like the Fraternity of St. Peter, FSSP, Institute of Christ the King, Sovereign Priests, they have been moved from the Congregation of Divine Faith to Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life. And all liturgical matters are now going to be held under the Congregation for Divine Worship, both more liberal than where they were before. This is going to put tremendous pressure on the Fraternity of St. Peter and the Institute of Christ the King. So, I'm about to pray now. We're going to go into all the articles. And I want to ask you to be salt and light, to be charitable, to be joyful. Do not rage. Do not use profanity. We must be the saints. In this time, there has to be many saints. If we are going to restore the Roman rite, preserve the one true faith, pass down the morality that Christ gave us from the apostles to this day, we have to be saints. And we have to be salt and light. We have to be attractive to bring people to these truths. Got it? Okay. We're going to open up. We're going to pray the Our Father, the Pater Noster in Latin, and then I'll move through these eight articles. Oremus. Nomini Patris, Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et emite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, se libera nos amalo. Amen. Nomine Patris, et Fidi, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, before I get started, please like the show with a thumbs up. Please share the show on Facebook. And most importantly, if you're new, please hit the subscribe button and the bell. You'll be notified whenever I go live. All right, the new motto proprio issued by Pope Francis today on the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And I'd like to just make one interesting reference. In October of 1917, the miracle of the dancing sun, the conclusion of the Our Lady of Fatima. Well, I guess there are still messages to, to Sister Lucia. But at that great moment of, of the miracles, there were apparitions in the sky that the children saw. And I, I recount all this in infiltration. But the last apparition that she saw was Our Lady of Mount Carmel. That is what was at the end. If you go back and you read the accounts of the miracle of the sun, the final apparition seen by Sister Lucia there is Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Today is the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. I have my scapular on. I hope you all have your brown scapulars on to show your devotion and that you're a servant of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Today, the motu proprio came out. And for those of you just joining, it is a major restriction on the traditional Latin Mass issued in eight articles. I'm going to go through all eight articles. Article number three, I'm naming the dragon canon. It is draconian. It is the, the well, there's many tough parts here, but article three is the dragon canon. I'll spend most of my time today on that draconian canon. But we will move through all eight, and we'll begin with number one. Number one, the liturgical books promulgated by St. Paul VI and St. John Paul II in conformity with the decrees of Vatican II are the unique expression of the Lex Arandi of the Roman Rite. Now, why did Pope Francis write this? Let me see if I can share it with you on the screen, please. Just a moment. Come with me now. Here we go. Why did Pope Francis issue this statement at the beginning? Well, you remember in Sumorum Pontificum, Pope Ben XVI created new language. And he said that the Novus Ordo Mass, the one issued by Paul VI in 1970, that's the ordinary form. The ordinary form. And then the Roman Rite has another form called the extraordinary form. And that is the Missal of 1962, or you could say by extension, the liturgical patrimony, the liturgical form from 1962 
back to 1570 with Pius V, back all the way through Thomas Aquinas and Bonaventure into the days of Gregory the Great, ultimately having its origin around the time of Pope Damasus in the 380s. So that's that long tradition is the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite, and then we have the ordinary form of the Roman Rite beginning in 1970. Now, I myself used to subscribe to this distinction, the two forms of the Roman Rite. I now think that it's not helpful. Uh, it's not a good distinction. It doesn't make any sense. How could the extraordinary form be the one that went on from uh, the late 300s until 1962, and the ordinary one be the one that was invented in 1970. I, I just don't understand how this can be. I'm going to do another show, by the way, because I've noticed that Pope Benedict bifurcated the Roman Rite into ordinary and extraordinary, and he also seems to believe that the papacy has been bifurcated into a passive papacy and into an active papacy. This is this is not what we do, Pope Benedict. We don't bifurcate the Roman Rite. We don't bifurcate the Roman Pontificate. There's a union in the liturgy, and there's a union in the Pontificate. What this does here is it sort of resets back to 1970. It, it's not using the language of extraordinary form and ordinary form. It's saying, hey, the 1970 Missal, it was promulgated in 69. It went into effect in 70. This is sometimes why you'll hear people say 69 or 70. The 1969-70 missile, that is the, as you'll see on the screen right here, that is the unique expression of the Lex Horani of the Roman Rite. In other words, we don't want people thinking the ordinary and the extraordinary are on par with each other. Mm. That's gone now. So Article 1 sets that distinction of Pope Ben XVI, aside, it's over. Now people will say, well, the Novus Ordo is the unique expression of the Roman Rite. And I respectfully reject that. Okay, the next article is Article 2. And I'll just put that on the screen, just bear with me. And there's Article 2. All right, it belongs to the diocesan bishop as moderator, promoter, and guardian of the whole liturgical life of the particular church entrusted to him to regulate the liturgical celebrations of his diocese. Therefore, it is his exclusive, exclusive competence to authorize the use of the 1962 Roman Missal in his diocese according to the guidelines of the Apostolic See. Article 2, which is what you see on the screen here, is the undermining of Sumorum Pontificum. Now, if you watched my show last week, you would have heard me say, I don't think they're going to do this. This is too draconian. This is too far. This, in a way, is a slap across the face to Bennett XVI. I don't think they're that daring. Well, I was wrong. They were that daring. <laughs> they actually said, before in Sumorum Pontificum, any priest in the Roman Rite, any priest, diocesan, Franciscan, Dominican, name it. They were given the right by Bent XVI and Sumorum Pontificum to celebrate the traditional Latin Mass. They didn't have to call the diocese to do that. They could just do it. They could just say, I'd like to celebrate a traditional Latin Mass at 10 a.m. on Tuesday. And Sumorum Pontificum gave them that right. Article 2 here in Traditionis Custodis, which is the name of the new mode appropriate. I don't know if I mentioned that yet. Article 2 is the one that snips off Sumorum Pontificum by gone. Because here, now, the power is given to the bishop to authorize or not authorize. Look right here. It is his exclusive competence to authorize the use of the 1962 Roman Missal in his diocese. A priest can no longer say, yeah, but Sumorum Pontificum says I can do it. All, all, all the bishop has to do now is Article 2. All right, now we move to Article 3. This is the one that I'm calling the Dragon Cannon. The Dragon Cannon. It's draconian. I'm putting it up on the screen. It's a long one. It's going to take a little bit to unpack here. Let's see if it even fit. Oh, my goodness. Look how big this thing is on the screen. How am I going to handle this? Yeah, it's not going to fit. Let me if I move over here. There we go. I'm going to move over. Number one. The bishop 
So Article 3 has these uh, subpoints. Okay, Article 1, the bishop is to determine that these groups do not deny the validity and legitimacy, both two terms, validity and legitimacy of the liturgical reform dictated by Vatican Council II and the Magisterium of the Supreme Pontiffs. So now, it is not just that people say, hey, I want a Latin Mass, let's do a Latin Mass. Now the bishop has to determine the convictions, the beliefs of that community, which would be the priests and the lay people, regarding whether the lay people deny the validity and the legitimacy. See, many of us would say, yeah, it's valid. We accept that it's valid. But is it legit? Is it legit? Is there a legitimacy to it? Now, I think we can play with some, some wordage here and we could say, well, yeah, it's valid. And we could say it's legitimate in that it was stated by counsel. Or you could even just say, well, the text of Sacro Sanctum Concilium in Vatican II, I accept. But I don't accept the new mass. This right here is basically, number one, giving the authority to the bishop to make a judgment and say, mm, these people do not accept the validity and legitimacy of Vatican II with regard to liturgical form. Therefore, they don't get it. Take away that treat. No cookie for you. That's a problem. Now, also, just think of tiny things. Like, for example, Sacrosanctum Concilium abrogates in the divine office the office of prime which goes all the way back to St. Benedict and before. Well, if you're a member of Institute of Christ the King or FSSPs, SI St. Pius X, or even you just pray the old breviary. And by the way, this monoproprio does not touch the breviary. That's an important uh, distinction. I would say, well, I think it's illegitimate for Vatican II to abrogate prime, the office of prime. The office of prime is, is the first office said in the morning after matins and lauds. I think that's illegitimate. Does that mean that the bishop could then say Taylor Marshall and his people, they can't have a mass? Number two is to designate one or more locations where the faithful adherents of these groups may gather for the Eucharistic celebration, not, however, in the parochial churches and without the erection of new personal parishes. This is a little bit ambiguous, but it says, look, the bishop can say, you can have your rent mass your traditional Latin Mass rent mass at 3 p.m. at this place on the first Sunday, and then on the second Sunday, you're going to be out in the country in this place at 4 p.m., and then on the third Sunday, you're going to be at uh, 6 a.m. out at this parish. But then it says, not in the parochial churches. So where are they going to be? In a tent? I don't understand what this means. We're going to need some interpretation on this. And then it says, and without the erection of new personal parishes. That means you can't erect, apparently, you can't establish a new parish that's exclusive traditional Latin Mass. A personal parish is a parish that instead of being geographical, it's personal in that it brings together persons for a common cause. In this case, the traditional Latin Mass. That just got obliterated. Number two. Number three. The schedule for the traditional Latin Mass of 62, the days and the times have to be established by the bishop. And readings are to be proclaimed in the vernacular. This is a problem. Why? Some people don't know this. They think, well, I mean, let's just have the readings in vernacular. Usually, by the way, at a fraternity of St. Peter, Institute of Christ the King, uh, Society of St. Pius X, diocesan, the epistle and gospel will be read or chanted in a high mass or solemn high mass in Latin. And then as the priest gets up into the pulpit before he preaches, he will read the epistle and the gospel again in English for the benefit of the people. It doesn't always happen on a daily mass or a low mass during the week, but almost always on a Sunday or feast day. I think 
in my experience going to Latin Mass for 11 or so years, I would say 97% of the time you hear on a Sunday the the lessons in, in English again. Here, they're to be proclaimed in the vernacular. And you may think that's not a big deal, but here's why it is a big deal. The epistle and the gospel and any other lessons inside the Mass are actually offered in uh, expiation for souls and for salvation. So, for example, when a subdeacon is ordained in the traditional Roman rite, the bishop says to proclaim the epistle for the living and the dead. When a, a deacon is ordained, it says proclaim the gospel for the living and the dead. He's referring to the liturgical reading because the subdeacon does the epistle and the deacon does the gospel. And when he ordains a priest, he says offer mass for the living and the dead. So each of those three orders has an offering, an oblation that's liturgical in the liturgy. The priest offers mass for the living and the dead. The deacon offers the gospel chant for the living and the dead. And the subdeacon offers the epistle for the living and the dead. Which means that the mass should be in Latin, the gospel should be in Latin, and the epistle should be in Latin. Because it's a performative office for the living and the dead. All right. I suspect that the Fraternity of St. Peter, the Institute of Christ the King, and the Society of St. Pius X will continue to proclaim the Epistle and Gospel in Latin, hopefully, and resist this draconian canon 3-3. Number four, the bishop is to appoint a priest as delegate of the bishop, is entrusted with these celebrations and with the pastoral care of these groups of the faithful. I'm going to pause here. You'll notice it's talking about groups. We're, we're no longer parishes. We're no longer communities. We're just some groups. This priest should be suited for this responsibility, skilled in the use of the Missale Romanum, antecedent to the reform of 1970. This is interesting because actually there was a missile in 1965, though the document refers to 62. So in the context, we're referring to the missile of 1962. And this priest must possess a knowledge of the Latin language sufficient for a thorough comprehension of the rubrics and liturgical texts and be animated by a lively pastoral charity and by a sense of ecclesial communion. This priest should have at heart not only the correct celebration of the liturgy, but also the pastoral and spiritual care of the faithful. Um, I think this is great. I want priests to have to know Latin properly, to be pastoral, uh, to love the people, etc. So, I really have no problem with this. I can see this being used, though, by a bishop saying, well, how many years of Latin did you have? That's not enough. Or you're rigid. You can't do that. All right, I'm going to delete a little bit of this so there's more room on the screen. Bear with me. We're on number five now. Article Of Article 3, the Dragon Canon is what I'm calling it. All right. Article 3, sub point 5. The bishop to proceed suitably to verify that the parishes canonically erected for the benefit of these faithful are effective for their spiritual growth and determine whether or not to retain them. The most important phrase in this canon is whether or not to retain them. That means the bishop can come to Dallas, Texas and say, well, modern day, the Fraternity of St. Peter Parish I mean, is it really for the benefit of the people and the spiritual growth? Mm, no, it's not. I don't retain it anymore. Boom, gone. Is that what this is saying? What if there is, for example, a parish like Father Heilman, who says a traditional Latin Mass, or has, for, for example, Father Altman's parish before he was canceled? The bishop could just say, yeah, I'm going to not retain that anymore. Bishop, you can't do that. Well, yes, I can. I've got the dragon canon in Traditione Custodis. Article 3, sub point 5. Deal with it. And then finally, Article 3, sub point 6. To the bishop to take care not to authorize the establishment of new groups. No more new groups. As of today... The Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, no more new groups. 
Does that mean new parishes? Does that mean um, a group of God, of holy priests come together and they say, hey, we want to have a, a traditional religious order that's dedicated to helping the poor. We want a traditional order dedicated to the divine office and Gregorian chant. We want a traditional order dedicated to exorcism. And the Pope and the bishop say, well, according to Dragon Canon, number three, sub point six, no new groups. Bye. That's why I call this the Dragon Canon. Because when you look through Article 3, you see all this weaponry given to the bishops. They can just say, well, you guys don't accept the legitimacy of Vatican II. No cookie for you. They can say, well, we're going to set the times and the dates in all these weird ways. If you don't like it, no cookie for you. Uh, you have to have the readings and vernacular. And um, your priest only had one year of Latin, even though I'm the bishop and I didn't do anything about that. No cookie for you. This parish isn't helping people with spiritual growth the way I understand it as a Vatican II modernist. No cookie for you. You lose the traditional Latin mass. Holy, um, Bishop, Your Excellency, we'd really like to start a new group um, of traditional Latin mass that meets in um, Los Angeles. Well, Dragon Canon of Tradiciones says no new group. So no new groups for you. It's not my, I mean, I can't do anything about it as the bishop. I'm just following the dragon canon of the motu proprio by Pope Francis. Not my fault. All right, that's the dragon canon. It's the big one. Now we're going to move on to Article 4. Let me grab that and put it up on the screen for you. Sorry, just a moment. Here it is. This one. This one shocked me. I'd actually heard a rumor that this was going to happen, and I just didn't think that they actually had the fortitude. I'll just say they had the fortitude to actually do this one. But Article 4 says, Priest ordained after the publication of this present motu proprio who wish to celebrate using the Missale Romanum of 1962 should submit a formal request to the diocesan bishop who shall consult the apostolic see before granting this authorization, end quote. Let's say you're a seminarian right now and you're getting ordained next weekend and you're thinking, and you already talked to your bishop, hey, for my first mass, I'd like to say traditional Latin mass the next day. And the bishop says, that's, that's great, do it. I know this happens. Nope. Sorry, seminarian. The new motu proprio, Pope Francis says, you cannot do that. Your bishop, is going to have to write a letter to Rome and ask for a special magic piece of paper from Rome granting you a new faculty. See, there's faculties to say Mass and hear confessions and preach. You now need a super faculty in order to say the traditional Latin Mass. Will they be handing these out? Will these be hard to get? Will it take a year to get one? How does one get the super faculty to get the permission from Rome, from the Apostolic See, to say the traditional Latin Mass of 1962? Now, when I read Article 4, I immediately thought, this is a loss, but it's a win. Why is this a win? Well, all young men or middle-aged men who are discerning a vocation to the sacred priesthood of Jesus Christ in the order of Melchizedek to transubstantiate bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus Christ and to absolve sinners of mortal sins and venial sins in the confessional. These men, orthodox men, moral men, chaste men, who want to offer their bodies and souls and purity to God to sanctify souls, they tend to like the traditional Latin Mass. Even if they go into a diocesan seminary, this is something of the, of the patrimony of the Catholic Church that they love and appreciate. Now they know that starting tomorrow, it says anyone ordained 
after this publication. So I guess if you ordain today, you're technically after it. So anyone ordained today or tomorrow or in the future, no Latin mass for you. You're not in the club. You don't get to do it. What is that going to do to those men? Just think about it. They're going to leave. They're not going to enroll. You are going to see an exodus in the next couple months of priests who are already two years, three years, four years, five years into formation. They're going to be leaving these diocesan seminaries and they're going to be migrating to the traditional orders. I suspect the traditional orders will get these special magic super faculties carte blanche for all their men. I would assume that. It's nowhere stated in the new mode proprio. I imagine when a fraternity of St. Peter man is ordained next weekend, if that happens, he would de facto get the super faculty to say the traditional Latin mass. If not, well, we got big problems. So that's article four. If you're a seminarian right now watching this, I hear from a lot of seminarians. If you're a seminarian watching this right now, your day is, a, you have a bummer Friday right now. You have a bummer Friday. You thought you were going to go. You already ordered your chasuble with a maniple on it so you could say the traditional Latin mass. You've got your Beretta in the box. You're ready to go. And today you read Article 4, Moda Proprio, Pope Francis said, dang it, I'm not going to get to say the traditional Latin Mass unless I go to my bishop and enter into the sweepstakes so that I can get the super faculty. All right, we're halfway through the articles. Now we're going to do Article 5, 6, 7, and 8, and they're short, so it'll go quicker. Article 3, the Dragon Cannon, is the longest one. That one took the longest amount of time. All right, so let's keep let's move on here. And by the way, if you're enjoying this, give it a like. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Please like the video. That tells YouTube this is a good video, and they'll show it around. Also, in order to bypass YouTube's draconian algorithm, uh, please share this video on Facebook or Twitter. There's a little share button in the live chat. X out the live chat. You won't lose it. Hit share. Come back in the live chat. And uh, please subscribe. Hit the subscribe bell button. You can do that in the right corner or beneath the video and hit the dinghy bell. You'll be notified. YouTube has to notify you every time I do a live video. And to everybody who does subscribe, thank you. All right, Article 5. I'll put it on the screen for you as we move along. Again, for those joining us, there are eight articles in the new Moto Proprio. Article 5. Priests who already celebrate according to the Missale Romanum of 1962 should request from the diocesan bishop the authorization to continue to enjoy this faculty. So, if you are ordained before yesterday, and you already celebrate the traditional Latin Mass, in a way you're grandfathered in. You don't have to go to Rome to get the super magic faculty piece of paper. You don't have to enter into the Roman sweepstakes to get that. All you have to do is, is go to your bishop and say, can I please have the super faculty in order to continue saying the Latin mass tomorrow? I suspect if a bishop, if Supich said, ha, 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 ha. oh, you know, you know, Cardinal Supich is drinking uh, on this Friday with his steak. He's drinking an apple teeny, swishing that around with his Monsignors. Got him. We got these trads by their ankles. We got them, tripping them up. He can, Supich can just tell anyone, that, hey, uh, uh, Cardinal Supich uh, in Chicago, can I like put, you know, please, please, please pray the Trisland Mass? No. Yeah, but Sumorum Pontificum, sorry, Sumorum Pontificum is bye-bye. The new mono proprio says that I can deny you authorization and you're just done. Cardinal Supich, Archbishop of Dijon, France. He can be on this Friday. He's spreading in Dijon, France. He's got his uh, gray poupon and he's putting on his ham and having an appletini. And he's just thinking, I got the motu proprio. There's nothing these traditional lay people, fraternity of St. Peter can do about it. 
I now have total authorization power over the lay people and over my own priest with regard to the TLM, the traditional Latin Mass. Grey Poupon, Dijon, vindicated, vindicated. Article 6. Let's do that one. That's the next one. Do you guys see how radical this is? As I was getting ready for the show, I thought, is this the worst thing that Pope Francis has done? And I wasn't sure. And I want to reserve, I don't want to make a judgment on that because I don't know. Is this the worst thing? But is this the most radical thing that Pope Francis has ever done? Yes. No doubt in my mind. Zero doubts in my mind. This is the most radical day of the eight-year pontificate of Pope Francis. He's dropping the bomb. Article 6. Institutes of consecrated life and societies of apostolic life. That's the Institute of Christ the King and the Fraternity of St. Peter. Erected by the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei, which, by the way, has been suppressed and folded into the Congregation for uh, Doctrine and the Faith. Fall under the competence of the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies for Apostolic Life. Slow motion punch to the face for Fraternity of St. Peter and Institute. This is a big hit. I guarantee you the superiors of the FSSP and the Institute of Christ the King, this one is a real kick to the crotch. Big time. This one hurts pretty bad because their new boss is this guy. See if I can put him up higher. There we go. This is Cardinal Braz de Avis. And he is the leader of the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies of Apostolic Life. And since Vatican II, I don't know if you've noticed since Vatican II, but there's been a radical change in consecrated life and religious life. Used to be that nuns wore habits and veils and this thing, what was this thing called? Whipple? I don't know. I can't remember what it's called. Help me out in the live chat what this thing is called. Uh, they chanted the divine office, matins, lauds, prime, terse, sex, nones, vespers, compline, every day. They were given to acts of uh, mercy, assisting the poor, teaching schools. The men did heroic missionary work, Jesuits, Dominicans, Franciscans assisting the poor. Then it all kind of became like, I'm going to be a social justice warrior and wear a pantsuit. And the only way you'd ever know that I was a nun is I have a lapel pin on my pantsuit uh, thing right here on my lapel. LPNs, lapel pin nuns. Vatican II, in the spirit of Vatican II, changed what consecrated life meant. It became in the world, active, groovy, um, you know, like, let's go out there and live Bob Dylan with our acoustic guitars. And what did we see happen? The convents emptied, the monasteries emptied, the vocation numbers crashed and burned. I had it. All those numbers are in, in the book Infiltration. Where's my book Infiltration? Here it is. All those numbers of the crash in religious life are documented over and over, but nobody wants to talk about them. For example, religious life from the 1960s until our time. Nuns and religious sisters in the United States, there were 180,000 nuns and sisters in the United States. 180,000, 180,000. In 2002, which was almost 20 years ago, there were only 75,000 religious sisters and nuns left. The average age, by the way, is 68. So it's not like new ones came around. These are the older ones that stayed on, and they're dying out. 
Why? Because where there is no nutrients and there is no light and there is no life, there is no growth. This is a principle of nature. It's also a principle of supernatural life given to us by Jesus Christ in his parables over and over again. There is something fundamentally broken in the way that religious orders operate since the 1960s. It is an empirical fact. You can blame it on whatever you want, but you have to admit that consecrated life, religious life, and the orders are broken and shattered beginning in the 1960s. And now, see, it was that the Latin mass orders were protected from the mainstream congregation for consecrated life. They were in the Congregation for Doctrine of Faith. They were actually placed under Ratzinger at the CDF. That was a good arrangement for them. Now they are dislodged and they are placed into the jumbled bag of the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies of Apostolic Life. So, Cardinal Braz de Aviz, who you see here, he's the new boss of your traditional Latin Mass communities. If there are disputes, if there are rules, if there is a problem in a diocese with the fraternity of St. Peter, Institute of Christ King, the bishop, or with the people, there's something unclear about their statutes or their life or their religious life, it goes here. Remember the Franciscans of the Immaculate? They were kind of a, a thriving, traditional Franciscan order. What happened to them? Well, they also went into the jumbled bag of the pontifical congregation for institutes of consecrated life and societies. This is going to be really, really tough for what we used to call Ecclesia Day communities, and they all know it. All right, that's Article 6. We have eight articles. We move on to Article 7. And I'll place this on the screen. There it is. The Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments and the Congregation for Institute of, Christ, of Consecrated Life and Society of Apostolic Life, for matters of their particular competence, exercise the authority of the Holy See with respect to the observance of these provisions. Slow motion punch again. No, this was the right. Now we're going from the left here. What does this mean? Anytime there is a debate, disagreement, confusion about anything in liturgy, used to go to a special office called Ecclesia Day in the, in the CDF. I've been to it before before it was technically shut down, but even though they shut it down, it was still the same room and the same people. It used to go to this kind of conservative group in the CDF who would interpret liturgical questions in light of Catholic tradition in liturgical questions. Now, it will not go there anymore. Now, it will go to the congregation for the for divine worship and the discipline of the sacraments. This is Cardinal Sarah's old office, but Cardinal Sarah is not there anymore. Conveniently. Now you've got Arthur Roche, who I've met. He's a thoroughgoing liberal when it comes to the liturgy. He's against ad orientum celebration. He's against Latin in the whole mass. He's against restriction of communion on the tongue. For example, let's say in the fraternity of St. Peter, Institute of Christ the King, a question or a dispute arises about communion in the hand at a fraternity of St. Peter apostolate. It'll appeal and it'll go up where? It'll go to Arthur Roche at Congregation for Divine Worship. And he will say, well, yes, they must have communion in the hand at the traditional Latin Mass. So let it be written. So let it be done. Boom. That's the Holy See authority. That's your problem right now. That's Article 7. And finally, number eight. Put that on the screen for you. One moment, please.
Number eight, previous norms, instructions, permissions, and customs that do not conform to the provisions of the present mode proprio are abrogated. Poof, gone. Let's say you're some old priest in some diocese somewhere, and you're saying a traditional Latin mass every Sunday because the cardinal or the bishop from two years ago said, oh yeah, the old Father McGillicuddy, let him do his TLM. Don't leave him alone. According to Article 8, Sorry, Father McGillicuddy, any special arrangements or permissions that you had going back in the day, any grandfathered clauses for parishes, for priests, for chapels, um, maybe even private or personal chapels of wealthy people or aristocrats, any of those grandfathered things are poof, gone, bye-bye. Previous norms, instructions, permissions, customs, even he will put the word customs right there even the customs gone you can say well it's always been our custom to chant the epistle and the gospel in latin they might say well according to pope francis and his mono proprio the customs are bye bye no good gone there is no appeal now to anything that happened before Yesterday, anything that happened yesterday, July 15th, 2021, going back until the time of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of that has been, according to Francis, abrogated. Right there, abrogated. I feel like a weatherman. I have to like find the stuff on the screen. Now I'll just give you, those are the eight articles. I'll give you the closing comments from Pope Francis. When I shared this with my wife, Joy, this morning, she said, this reads, this is mean. This sounds like a Soviet decree. Here's the final statement from Pope Francis. Everything that I have declared in this apostolic letter, by the way, isn't Pope Francis the guy who's saying, don't be rigid, don't be rigid, don't be rigid? This is a pretty rigid document. Am I right? Is this not rigid? Very rigid. I, I mean, this is the most rigid thing Pope Francis has ever done. He says, quote, Everything that I have declared in this apostolic letter in the form of moto proprio, and by the way, moto proprio is um, by his proper motion, by his own initiative in Latin. It means... Um, I said this before, I know canon lawyers would probably throw tomatoes at me and say I'm such an idiot, but it's kind of like an executive order in America where the Pope can just sort of write an executive decree and by him writing it and decreeing it and signing it, it goes into law. So you don't have to like rewrite the entire code of canon law. You can just issue a motu proprio and it goes into effect. He says right over here, I order to be observed in all its parts anything else to the contrary notwithstanding, even if worthy of particular mention, and I establish that it be promulgated by way of publication in Lea Servitore Romano, entering immediately in force, and subsequently, that it be published in the official commentary of the Holy See, Acta Apostolice Sedis, given at Rome at St. John Lateran on the 16th of July, 2021, the liturgical memorial of Our Lady of Mount Carmel in the ninth year of our pontificate, Francis. And that's it. So just in summary, in case you came in late here, we just, uh, wow, there's a lot of people, 6,000 people. Welcome, everybody. Uh, if you're new, please subscribe. And uh, please like the video and please share it. In summary, what happened today? What are the, the highlights, the big hits? We got the left, we had the, the right hook, we had the left jab, we had the kick in the crotch, we had the dragon cannon. What's happening? I'm just going to summarize it up in a few, few points here. And again, if you missed my opening monologue where I said, look, we win this by our charity, by our joy, by our love. They are waiting for all the trads to screech, freak out, go on Twitter, start F-bombing, um, condemning, sending people to hell. They really want us to act the fool and act mean and act crazy. And we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. I'm challenging everyone. Don't do it. 
What you're going to do is you're going to pray an extra rosary. What you're going to do is, is you're going to call up somebody today or tomorrow and invite them to the traditional Latin Mass with you to grow the traditional Latin Mass. What you're going to do is you're going to dig down deep and you're going to donate more to the priests and the parishes and the movements that are grow growing the traditional Latin Mass. In other words, we're going to become more joyful, more happy, more holy, more traditional, more committed to Jesus Christ because we need saints to overcome and win this. We don't need nasty, mean people. We don't need trolls. Don't be a troll. Trolls don't get you to heaven. Grace gets you to heaven. So in summary, what happened? Well, we saw at the very beginning that the whole idea of ordinary form and extraordinary form has been obliterated. Instead, the Novus Ordo is is the unique expression of the Roman Rite. In other words, it is the Roman Rite. Two, any suspicion of rejecting the validity or legitimacy, to use the phrase of the monoproprio, of the liturgical reforms of Vatican II, any of that means no cookie for you, Latin Mass abolished, no community for you. So let's just say you had a fraternity of St. Peter Parish and that priest there preached a sermon in which he says, I do not accept or I would not allow uh, myself to say the Novus Ordo or constant. They could just say, well, you're not accepting the legitimacy of Vatican II. Therefore, bye bye, we're taking away your magic super faculties. You can't say the Latin Mass in this diocese anymore. We also see a restriction on no new groups and no new personal parishes. What does this mean? Can there no longer be fraternity of St. Peter parishes, Institute of Christ the King parishes? Can there no longer be something like St. John Cantius in Chicago? Does this mean that moving forward, every new chapel or parish is going to have to somehow be SSPX? Is that where this is going? And in my closing comments, I'll, I'll review their strategy of corralling, getting all of us into SSPX or something like SSPX to close the door. That'll be my closing point. If you've never heard me explain that before, it's important. We also saw that the bishop can regulate the place, the geographic location, and the times. It's not up to the community and it's not up to the priests. We also saw the odd demand that the lesson, the epistle and the gospel, be in vernacular. And then we saw that priests ordained after today cannot say the traditional Latin Mass, even if their bishop says they can. Instead, they have to apply for the TLM Roman sweepstakes and get the super faculty from Rome. A newly ordained priest next week has to appeal to Rome to get a super faculty back to say the Latin Mass. And then we see that societies, priestly societies and institutes are now placed away. They've been taken out, ripped out of the CDF, Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, and they have been placed under two progressive congregations, the Congregation for the Institute of Consecrated Life, Religious Life, and the Congregation for Divine Worship, which is run by Arthur Roche, a liturgical modernist, is that too strong? Progressive. This is going to push on to traditional institutes and priestly societies obligations such as you must give communion in the hand. You maybe should not have a communion rail. You must have altar girls at your Latin masses. Um, what else? Maybe um, restrictions on wearing the maniple by the priest in conformity to the liturgical rules of Paul VI. Um, what else could this be? Uh, demands to concelebrate Chrismas. All of these things will be debated points. They will go up to the Congregation for Divine Worship, and I guarantee they will rule on behalf of the Holy See on the liberal progressive side. And this will batter and divide 
the traditional institutes and priestly societies like FSSP and Institute of Christ the King. This is going to be extremely painful for them. I hate to say it. I'm a member of a fraternity of St. Peter Parish right now. What is going to happen? And that is the final question. What is going to happen? Well, now they laid their cards on the table. Everybody's been playing, bidding. It's a poker game. Now their cards are on the table. Take a deep breath. Remember, if we're saints, if we're conformed to the image and likeness of Christ, then the world can't conquer us. No enemies in the church can't conquer us. An infiltration can't conquer us. We're more than conquerors, St. Paul says. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus who loves us. That's St. Paul. So let's take a deep breath. We're, we're not going to lose this. It's the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. That says something. Here is their trajectory. It's what I call the corral. Down here in Texas, I live in Texas, we have a noun, corral, and then we have a verb, corralling. Corralling is where you get a bunch of animals. Down here, cattle. It could be sheep or whatever. You corral them in the herd, and then using dogs or cowboys on horses, you move them into the corral. You corral them into the corral. All right, verb, noun. And the corral is a place where you can neuter the animals, you can brand the animals, you can send them up a chute to go and get slaughtered. That's why you bring them into the corral. And my suspicion, and I feel very confident about this, is that Pope Francis and the St. Gallen Mafia and the modernists, and let me just be honest, the infiltration going back to the 1800s, the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita. You can read the whole thing. It's in the appendix of my book, Infiltration. The plan is to move everyone who believes in the traditional faith. You know, Pope Francis has attacked that uh, just by rewriting a catechism. The traditional morality. You know, we see this in Amoris. We see this regarding the death penalty. Moving pieces Morality doesn't have moving pieces. Saying, you know, uh, injecting certain things into your body is morally virtuous, righteous, required, even though what's contained in those things is gravely immoral. Pope Francis says these things. And now the liturgy. So the end game is to totally take over the Bride of Christ, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And then the people who love Christ and love the ever-Virgin Blessed Mary, Theotokos, St. Joseph, the apostles, the tradition, the feast days, the novenas, the people who want to hold on to what we've always been and say, whoa, 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 you're changing. You're moving away. Their goal is to say, we'll just keep, we're going to corral you over here. Corral, corral. Then they get us inside the corral. And when every last one of us is in the corral with our priests and with our fellow laymen, they will swing that wooden gate closed. And here in Texas, there's usually a chain. You wrap a chain between the gate post and the, the uh, actual fence. You wrap it, and then you put a lock on it. All the animals are in the corral. It's containment. But down here in Texas, we also have chain cutters, bolt cutters. You've seen me. I've actually pulled them up on screen before when we were talking about how um, people were pulling down statues of saints. I said, all you got to do is have one of these bolt cutters and cut their rope or cut their wire and they can't pull down the statue. And I brought some on screen. I should have brought them up today. But Jesus Christ 
has the bolt cutters. He's not going to let this happen. He'll come. Remember, he's the door. He said he's the door. And he will snip that easy and cut the chains. He will reestablish all things in himself. He is the good shepherd. He is the king of kings. He has a plan. I'm going to keep doing the same thing I've done for the past 11 years. I'm going to go to the Latin Mass. I'm going to go to confession. I'm going to try not to be a grumpy man, trying to be a curmudgeon. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to talk to new people after Mass. I'm going to invite new people to Mass. I'm going to hopefully be a good neighbor to my friends and to my family, hopefully be a witness to Jesus Christ in my community, on YouTube, wherever, and keep on going. Do not allow this to defeat you. Do not become bitter and do not be a troll. I'm so sick of trad trolls. You're doing nothing but helping Pope Francis. You're on the modernist payroll. If you're out there as a trad, trolling other people, using profanity, using slurs, destroying people's lives, that's not good. Pope Pius V would not approve of that. Neither would St. Peter. Of course, Our Lady wouldn't. Do we resist? Yes. Are we strong? Yes. Do we pray the rosary every single day? Yes, we must pray the rosary every single day. If you don't pray the rosary, you're not on the team. Read the Bible every single day. Teach your children and your spouse the one true faith. I will even say it. It is, it is part of Catholic identity. Submit to Rome. Submit to the Pope. But do not submit to sin. Obedience has limits. You saw me put this on the screen the other day. Obedience has limits. If a pope or a bishop says, kill that innocent child, of course we wouldn't do that. Well, I'm the bishop. I can tell you what to do. No. Obedience has limits. And if a pope or a bishop or a priest tells me to do something that's going to destroy my Catholic faith or the Catholic faith of my spouse or the Catholic faith of my children or my friends, I just will not do it. You do not have to take the step off the ledge into disobedience to Christ. Obedience has its limits. Well, let us pray for Pope Francis. Let us rally and say a Hail Mary for him. And I think, again, I'm just a guy. I got no authority. I'm not in the magisterium. I'm not a bishop or a cardinal or anybody. I'm nobody. But I think it would be prudent for us to say a whole rosary, at least five decades, for a. Hmm. What's the word? Obstruction to what we've seen happen in this motu proprio. An intervention from heaven. That's the better word. An intervention from heaven. Our Lady of Mount Carmel, pray for us. Let us pray the Hail Mary together. Oremus. In nomine Patris, et Fidi, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in molieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu, Iesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or Pronobis peccatoribus, nunc eretor mortis nostre. Amen. And for all the good gifts that we still receive from heaven, Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto. Sicuterat in principio, et nunc et semper, et in secula, seculorum. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right, pray the rosary every day. Read the Bible every day. Find a traditional Latin Mass. You haven't been in traditional Latin Mass yet? Do it this weekend, this Sunday. I challenge you. Find a traditional Latin Mass and go. You don't have to bring anything. Just show up. You'll be a little confused. No problem. That's a fine. It's fine. Just go there and pray and be with Jesus. Don't be a troll. Don't be rude. It's time for traditional Catholics to have the reputation of being the warmest, the kindest, the gentlest Catholics out there. Let's do that. All right. Everybody, thanks for watching. Please like, please subscribe, please share this on Facebook if you think it'll be uh, helpful to your family and to your friends. 
Also, thanks to all the supporters on Patreon.com, Patreon.com forward slash Dr. Taylor Marshall. And uh, I'll make some more videos about this. I think also the cover letter deserves attention. Uh, so we'll be we'll be revisiting this and maybe some interviews next week on it because it's a big, really big deal. And until then, remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Godspeed. <laughs>